0: I thought to myself is this a heart attack? Because I'd never felt this before and you know I said to myself well you wouldn't be able to be pushing 300 plus watts if you're having a heart attack. So uh, you'd be you know you'd be lying on the side of the other uh, court.
1: That's Sophia O'Donnell, professional triathlete and Ironman champion. I'm Ed Gibbons, co-founder and product lead of Rewire.
2: And I'm Sun Sachs, co-founder and CEO of Rewire, and this is the Rewire Fitness Podcast. Welcome.
1: On this podcast, Sun and I discuss with Tim his journey to be a world class professional triathlete. We dive into how he has managed his training and recovery to achieve a long and successful career. And we also hear from Tim about his recent heart attack, which he experienced during a triathlon at Challenge Miami, and how he has recovered since. There's a lot to unpick here, so let's dive right in. So we're joined today by Timothy O'Donnell, professional triathlete, Ironman champion. How are you doing today, Timothy? I'm great. Yeah, uh, great to start the morning off with you both. Awesome. So starting at the beginning, which is how we usually like to start on this podcast, can you just sort of run us through your early background and your journey towards where you are now as a, as a professional triathlete?
0: Yeah, so I actually started off as a swimmer. Um, I joined my first swim team at the age of five and I was not very good. I'm the youngest of four. Everybody else was swimming. So I just had to swim too. Uh, but I loved it. I kept plugging along. I became a distance swimmer When you're not good at, uh, anything else. You, they put you in the distance lane and a bit of foreshadowing because you know, <laughs> it, it's just like Ironman, you know, when you're not good at Olympic distance racing, you go to Ironman. So, uh, <laughs> it was kind of my path, like which you know, what sport or what, you know, uh, you know, arena are just hard work pay off the most. And I, I think that's why I kind of gravitated toward toward triathlon. But, you know, I swam, went to the United States Naval Academy, was on the varsity swim team there. And my older brother, Thomas, was on the triathlon club team. And he, I, I would say he asked me to try out, but he actually forced me to try out, you know, it was an order from an upperclassman. <laughs> and if you're familiar with the service academies, when they tell you to do something and you're a plebe or a freshman, <laughs> you got to do it. So uh, he, I, he, he brought me out. He put me on his time trial bike. I did the tryouts. Um, I had no interest in doing triathlon whatsoever. Uh, I just did it because he told me to, and uh, I I made the team. Uh, and I didn't take it seriously for the first two years, uh, but then at the end of my sophomore year, I went to the collegiate national championships at Wildflower in um, California, and I I you know I think I finished like somewhere between like tenth and fifteenth, but I was on a road bike. Everybody else was on their slick time trial bikes. And I hadn't really trained properly, but I was the number one guy on the, uh, academy's team. And I kind of thought, Hey, maybe I have something here. Maybe I can be really good at this. So my junior year, uh, much to the chagrin of the, the swim team coaches, I had had my, like these breakout performances at the end of my sophomore year. And they were all excited because they're like, Whoa, where did that come from? And then I turn around and say, actually, I'm going to go do (laughs) (laughs) tri-thon. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, from there, I really, I got a, I got a triathlon coach and I put my head down and I focused on triathlon. Uh, I led the Naval Academy Men's Team to two national championships, my junior and senior year. And my, you know, my professional career would start building from there. Awesome.
1: So you've gone from sort of not being interested in doing triathlon at all to then turning into a professional triathlete. Where sort of along that journey do you think your your passion for
0: triathlon started? Oh, it's, That's a great question because I don't, I didn't really start as a passion. It, it started almost as a curiosity. Um, I just, there were so many layers to this sport and I hated running. I'm not going to lie. It was several years of doing (laughs) on that I hated running. Uh, it was just, I became almost like just obsessed with it. Like I need to figure out how to do this better. And there were just so many moving parts. Um, you know, obviously physical training, mental training, the emotional state of it, uh, the nutrition aspect of it. There was all these layers. And I just, it was like a giant Rubik's cube. Like I have to figure this out. And it probably wasn't until like 2003, I graduated from the Naval Academy. And it was still a little bit after that, where I fell in love with running, which I, then I think really drove my passion for the whole sport in general.
1: Oh, awesome. Yeah. Sounds like you just noticed it and explored that curiosity, which is awesome. And and along that journey, what are sort of the moments you're most proud of, the, the sort of greatest achievements you've
0: had? You know, there, it's, it's been a long career. I am I don't want to date myself, but I uh, <laughs> have years and years of uh, of great experiences, that's for sure. I mean, when I was in the military, winning the six uh, Armed Forces Championships in a row uh, was a huge honor for me. I mean, in terms of the competitive field and, you know, it's not an Ironman World Championship by any means, but what it symbolized, what it meant to me as, you know, being an officer in the Navy at the time, that, that's super important. Winning my world title at uh, the 2009 ITU Long Distance World Championships at Perth, definitely uh, a highlight. And then, of course, my Ironman World Championship performance in uh, 2019 uh, with my second place finish, you know, first American under eight hours ever in Kona. That, uh, that probably tops the cake. That's
1: awesome, yeah, and you know, we see a lot of people from military backgrounds going into elite sport. There's a lot of synergies between the two, naturally. Do you think there's any soft schools that you've picked up in the Navy that have sort of transferred over?
0: Yeah, honestly, I think about this a lot because I think, you know, I come from a great family and my my parents were very, you know, um, know, disciplined and, and goal oriented, so I don't know if like kind of my background, my family background you know, brought me into the military because I was a good fit for that military, uh, mindset. Or, you know, if the military kind of molded me into, you know, who I am. And in all likelihood, it's probably a combination of both, but honestly, just that stick it out, like let's grind personality of the military and, you know, let, Hey, like we have a job to do and we're not going home until that job is done, uh, all that stuff, I think really helped me succeed in on because it is. You know, I always joke that triathlon is a sport where your pure talent versus what you do, what you put into it. Like that ratio is so far off of other sports. You know, most sports, you have to be extremely talented, but you see all types of people succeeding in triathlon. Um, so, you know, I think that whole combination of family and military, it all went perfectly into this particular sport.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of overlap, particularly in the sort of mental resilience component of that. So just going to hand it over to sons and really dive into that mental resilience side of things. Yeah,
2: exactly. Um, so we often ask athletes sort of uh, if they were to assess how important the mental component is to their performance, you know, whether it be what percentage of it versus physical or some other way to sort of uh,
0: say how important it is. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't know in terms of a percentage. Um, I probably couldn't p- pinpoint that. But when you get to the elite level of sport, and and that can even be if you're trying to win your age group, bet say the Ironman World Championships or just the local Ironman. It's not just professional racing, but when you want to get to that elite level of sport, everybody's fitness is kind of on par, right? You're there's there's no one that's like exponentially fitter than anybody else when you're at that level and it comes down to who's in the right mindset who's got that mental edge so for me it's for me it's probably you know one of the absolute most important parts of my ability to perform on race day and honestly get through training um takes a lot of mental energy when you have eight or nine hour training days that's for sure
2: no no doubt yeah what we, what we try to do with Rewire is um, build in tools for measuring that level of cognitive fatigue so that you kind of have a sense for how that might influence your training. Um, we're curious what kind of techniques or what kind of tools you use on the mental side, um, whether they be traditional techniques or just things you develop for yourself to help you get through those
0: hard workouts. Yeah, I've, uh, I've definitely tried different things over the years. Uh, even back in the day when I was at the Olympic Training Center, you know, I started, that probably started it all. I didn't do much when I was in college. It was just like, Hey, let's train. And then like, let's party after the race. Uh, <laughs> but then what I wanted to take, take this form, you know, with a little, uh, you know, more serious approach. Um, and when I was on the national teams and in those programs at the Olympic training center on the resident team there, you know, I started working with the sports psychologist there. And then, uh, I actually started working with a hypnotherapist as well. And I thought that was great doing, um, having those self hypnosis techniques to put me in that, um, that, you know, the, put me in that race environment and in my head when I'm, you know, not actually out on the course. And that led me to do a lot of visualization. And then, you know, it's a lot of self-talk too, when you're out there training and and racing and being able to fight the negative thoughts and and just bring yourself back to a simple place in your head, uh, and to a quiet mind. I don't think can be said better than having a quiet mind when you're out there racing, and that takes work. It takes a lot of work to be able to get to that point. And for me, on rate, when I'm out there racing, if I'm thinking about trying to win, I'm not winning. If I'm thinking, if I'm staying in the moment and I'm thinking about the details that I need to do, what I need to do to execute to win, that's when I win races.
2: Amazing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's you. You just want to have that uh, quiet, present mindset to allow things to unfold. And, uh, and there must be some kind of resiliency piece to that mindset as well. Like if obviously in a race that long, unexpected things happen all the time
0: that you can't control. So how do you sort of counteract those things? Uh, you said it perfectly, son. There's so many variables that you can't control. And when you focus on those, things go sideways very quickly. But when you can, um, you mentioned resiliency, and I think resiliency comes from uh, being, you know, okay with the cards in your hand. You know, we, we get, we get dealt cards. You never know what's going to, what the deal is going to throw down on the table, but you say, okay, I'm playing what I have and I'm going to play what I have to the best of my ability and I can't control anything else. So I think when you let go, when you let go of all that, the external things you can't control, you can bring yourself into that place, kind of that, um, you know, that place of quietness or that, you know, flow state or whatever you want to call it. Amazing. Yeah. That's uh, incredibly
2: powerful. Um, And do you think that resilience sort of extends to the rest of your life? Like these techniques that you've learned,
0: are you able to apply that to other things beyond sport? Yeah. Uh, As a parent, I'm I'm working on that. I mean, we have a almost four-year-old daughter and a seven-month-old little boy. And uh, there's a lot of things you can't control when you have kids. And there's (laughs) definitely a lot of stress that can build up. So I think applying those techniques in in parenthood is pretty important. Yeah, that's the ultimate test. <laughs> yeah, just to
1: dive into sort of an example of that that sort of mental resilience and and unexpected things happening. So taking you back to Kona 2019, now seven weeks before that you had a you broke your foot again. You come into a race, a lot of uncertainty. How do you sort of control your mindset and keep it a calm state when you've got so much doubt over whether you're going to be able to compete or perform to that? The sort of best of your ability
0: yeah that was probably my my biggest challenge 2019 with the broken foot you know coming off of fourth place finish the year before and i had been on the podium already before you know i had big expectations uh and a lot of you know partners fans everybody had big expectations you know at the end of the day i think it's what we internalize that causes the most pressure uh so you know i over the years realized that i could, could handle that and that you know we always want to Blame the pressure on somebody else, but it's, it's, the pressure builds up inside of us and we're in control of it. But when I broke, when I got the MRI back and realized I couldn't, I wasn't going to be able to run and even ride for a while, you know, I had, uh, I'm not going to lie, I cracked a bottle of wine, sat on the couch, and I sulked for that first night. I'm like, all right, th- I'm, this bottle of wine is my pity party. But then when I wake up tomorrow, we're going to focus on what we can do. And, you know, we'll wake up a little groggy the next day. (laughs) I'm going to focus on, okay, how can I, how can I be the best athlete? How can I be the best TO considering these circumstances, the cards that I've been dealt, which is a broken foot. And I just got to work. I I started focusing on different nutrition aspects that I hadn't, uh, you know, paid attention to. I got in the pool, you know, I swam, I couldn't flip turn. I couldn't push up the wall, but I kept swimming. Uh, Eventually I could ride the stationary bike. I couldn't ride outside because I couldn't stand up and put weight on my foot. Um, and then shortly before the world championship, I could run on a zero gravity treadmill and, you know, I said, okay, I can't, you know, I can't run properly right now. I'm only running at 50, 60, you know, eventually maybe 70% body weight, but I can work on those neuromuscular skills. Um, you know, I can get that muscle memory going and know the pace I need to run and I can get really fit on the bike right now. Cause I don't have to worry about the load that I've had. In my body from running and and all the impact and and uh the fatigue and just you know training load that i normally have and then after that you just say okay this is what i have i've done everything i could and now let's see what happens and there's almost pressure off your shoulders when you you know that hey this is a bonus that i'm here and yeah i had this attitude of gratitude because yeah you don't you don't realize and I've been doing the world championships since 2011 and it takes a lot. It's a huge toll. And when I've had bad races, you know, I'm like, oh, I just need a year off of this race. I need a year off. Like, you know, it, it becomes too much, but then when you are about to go to the world championship and you get injured and you realize that you might not be able to race, you realize how badly you want to be there. So yeah. my whole attitude changed. It, it it changed from a burden and a burden to have to perform and a burden you know, to keep plugging away at this one, you know, high stress race to, yes, I get to be at the world championship. And I was so excited, so happy to be at the start line, that it didn't matter. You know, I was just happy to be there and, and I let it let go. You know, I, my daughter loves frozen and I have a physiotherapist <laughs> that has a daughter too. And he's like, he's working on me the race week. And he's like, Hey Tim, yeah. like Elsa said, you got to let it go. All right. Like <laughs> just go for it. So that's what I did. I went for it and I had no, no clue if I'd be able to even finish the marathon. But, uh, you know, race day, things happen, Magic things happen on race day when you just let it go. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause I think, I think most people would
1: have just sort of noticed an injury and at that point swung up their trainers and thought, right, that's me off for a few weeks. And you sort of picked out the things you could control and control the controllables and it managed to get in such a fit state that you finished the line second. I mean, what did it mean to having gone through all of that to then cross the line in
0: second place? It was, you know, honestly, a dream come true. Um, Particularly breaking eight hours. It was something I'd always wanted to do. And I'll t- I'll tell you, a lot of my passwords had Ironman759 in the passwords. I've with <laughs> everybody. Don't be trying to get onto my social media. I've changed them. But that's how much I wanted to break eight hours. It was like, it was yeah password. And uh, to have it finally come through under those circumstances was was pretty amazing. And to be honest, there was years where I thought I wasn't going to be able to do it. And I'd kind of like, eh, you know, maybe that's not going to happen. So to stop thinking about it and and just it just do, just execute and have it come to fruition, it was pretty amazing. Were you shocked that that was the race that it happened in, where, where you've had this injury just beforehand? No, I actually had this weird confidence. I just... You know, I think a lot of us overtrain and the years yeah. I've been in best run shape, I, I haven't performed well because I get in such good run shape. I'm, I'm beat up running takes a lot out of you, especially if you're not, you know, a really like thin runner, you know, triathletes are usually a little bigger and, and that impact takes a lot more out of the body. And then also you're not in great, as good as bike shape because you're running so much. So then you end up overriding in the race. And you have a bad run anyways, even though you're in great run shape. So now here I am in amazing, uh, cycling shape. I get off the bike and I remember the first step when I hit transition. Yeah. I've had years where you, your first step, you know, how your run's going to go because you're, you can just tell, you know, sometimes you hit it and your hips collapse and you just kind of almost fall over and you're like, oh, it's going to be a long run. And I hit, I hit the ground first step and I had this pop in my legs and I'm like, okay, there's something there. I don't know if it's going to last for 42 K, but there's something there. And I just ran with it, and I actually remember coming out of transition. the The clock, I think the clock said like five oh, like five ten something, uh, or five oh nine something. And I said to myself, "Okay, I I could actually, I could be right at eight hours right now. You know, I could be under eight hours, but, but I got to run a sub two fifty marathon, which I've done in other races, but not in Kona. Kona's a whole different beast. Yeah. And I just, I said, okay, well that's cool. I put it out of my mind and got to work. And I think that's the important part is, Hey, you know, I can do this, but I'm not going to do it by thinking about doing it. I'm going to do it by executing and thinking about the little things I have to do during the race to achieve that goal.
1: i so, And I think sort of just the confidence you have in yourself, there is only going to help and, uh, just sort of removing that self doubt and believing in yourself and knowing from that first step, right. I've got something
0: here. And feed, I think yeah, being okay with failure is really important too. Yeah. You know, stuff happens and people use it as excuses Is they don't wanna they don't wanna show the world what, what they have because they're afraid that it's not enough. But if you just own it and, you know, you open your heart and you show the world what you have, you should be proud of it no matter, you know, if you consider the result a success or, or a failure. But, you know, if you don't do that, you'll never know. And I think that's really important. People just need to be willing to put it out there and, and, and just celebrate what they have and, and the fact that they were able to be the best version of themselves on that day, regardless of the result.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So, so sort of building on that when you approach it, a goal, and maybe using this as a specific example, as you're sort of approaching your goal setting, w- what are you sort of picking out? Are you doing it sort of subjectively? I want to be the best I can be. and you've got these sort of objective goals of sort of breaking eight hours, but how, how do you normally set out a goal?
0: For me, I mean, I always focus on Ironman world championships, obviously it's, you know, the, the race that it the, the kind of end all be all for triathlon, but I got, I had the pleasure of training with three time Ironman world champion, Craig Alexander, when I was younger, great guy, Australian, and he would always lay it out. He's like, Hey, if you swim this, you ride this and you run this, like those, those stats win you this race, you know, it wasn't like oh, you got to be ready to go head to head with so-and-so. It's like, no, like, execute these, you know, these performances on the swim bike run and you'll be in a position to win the race. Now, I did that in 2019. I mean, at of 42 World Championships, it would have won 40 of them. <laughs> it's just the having <laughs> that, you know, Jan, who's considered probably the greatest of all time, the gold medalist, world champion here and there, all over the place. He had one of those amazing days too. So, hey, what are you going to do? But um, I do think if you're you know for me I, obviously my goal is to perform to a certain level and then once you get to that point yeah if you want to win then you got to start taking risks and you got to be in that mindset to um race differently and and race people i guess you know not just yourself or, or some you know set performance uh, um goal
1: absolutely I i think you're sort of Acceptance that failures are right allows you to take those risks and and sort of push yourself and, and challenge yourself there.
0: Uh, absolutely, so, yeah. And you know, I've been lucky too having you know my wife, uh, Mirinda, three-time Ironman world champion as well. uh She, both of us racing it, out it almost gave me the chance to to put to be a little more risky so, uh, over the years too because you know it's your profession as well and you got to make money and you got to pay the mortgage and you got to feed the kids and you know some of the guys haven't felt like they could take that risk and i think having kind of both of us there and both of us having a chance to perform helped me do that that's awesome and and sort of touching
1: on that point your wife's a professional triathlete i'm a champion as well how do you think that sort of pushes you further if so and and in what ways are you, you sort of pushing each other are you very competitive and and you sort of break a household run record there but um uh,
0: yeah, and what ways are you competitive with each other and, and how do you think that pushes you further? Yeah, we always joke that we're not competitive, but then we find ourselves, like, if we go mini-golfing or whatever it is, <laughs> extremely competitive with each other. Uh, you know, I think it's it's been important that we both had our own teams. Yeah. You know, we don't really get too involved in the, the nitty-gritty of, of each other's training. We know we're there to support each other and we're sounding boards, but we also know that we each have our own journeys to performance and we have to respect that as well. But we get a lot just from observing each other. I remember the so the first time I did uh Kona, the world championship was twenty eleven and rinny had done it twice already. Oh nine she was second, two thousand ten she had won. And here I come in this fresh, I had an amazing race earlier in the year. Um, you know, Kona was only my second Iron Man. And I'm doing stupid stuff like, oh carbo loader, you're just supposed to eat this many grams of carbohydrates or whatever and I'm eating Crappy carbohydrates, you know. I'm eating like pastries and stuff, and she's just shaking her head. And I, <laughs> I'm like, okay. I, 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 and I ended up getting sick. I had a fever on the bike, and yeah, I, I was underweight going into the race. It was, just, it was just a disaster. But as you know, I would sit back and be like, okay, well, maybe you know, look at rinnie and how she did this, and okay, maybe I, you know, change some things and uh, approach things differently. And she, Just her, she was very focused, particularly when she was in that, you know, in that space of winning all those world titles and just seeing how the mindset she had with winning and and being able to put other stuff out. She would never get distracted by other things. She would always pay extra for for more help, better management, things like that. So she could focus on her performance. And I, I love to use my mind. So I'm always thinking about other things and trying to do other stuff. So I learned that I need to scale that back, particularly around the big events and, and bring and kind of harness my focus on those particular events. And then, you know, maybe in the off season, I can use my brain for other fun little side projects.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. It's great. You, you're putting that out there on your Tim and Renny show and it's great watching it and seeing you guys train in, in the way that you do. So yeah, awesome.
2: All right. Excellent. So, um, this earlier this year, you had a, a pretty challenging situation. Um, you mind talking about that in, uh, uh, it was the Miami
0: race, right? Yep. So in March of uh, this year, at Challenge Miami, I challenged Miami actually suffered a heart attack on the bike, about two thirds through the bike. And I started feeling, you know, the chest pain and shooting left arm pain, tight jaw. And I thought to myself, is this a heart attack? Uh cause I'd never felt this before. And, you know, I said to myself, well, you wouldn't be able to be pushing 300 plus Watts or three, whatever, watts if you're having a heart attack. So, uh, you'd be, you know, you'd be lying on the side of the uh, the course. So I said, okay, well, I'll just back it off a little bit and see how I feel. And, and this is maybe the detriment of having like that, like yeah. that mindset. Of, I almost was pre-programmed pre-programmed, like, okay, you just do what you, you do to get to the finish line. Cause like you're finishing this race. So I, I kind of fought through it. I did fall back on the bike. I, you know, started feeling pretty rough, uh, managed to put together a pretty decent run and and still finished, I think 11th in a, what has been for probably the toughest field all year in, in triathlon racing. And then things went downhill pretty quickly after that, uh, went to the hospital, you know, they cleared, cleared the, uh, it was a soft plaque rupture. They cleared uh, the blockage, put a stent in. And, you know, we've been kind of dealing with the recovery since then wow so yeah but i, I used to, to put myself in that place, the that mindset place right like where you just ignore all you you you've been like okay I'm, a I'm putting that to the side right i'm gonna finish this race and then we'll figure it out
2: <laughs> if it's not stopping you you're gonna keep going right oh my god that is terrible um and what's the survival rate for this type of heart attack
0: yeah i was told it's it's like around 12 percent um and my block was very high on the, it's the LAD, So the arteries, the led the nickname is the Widowmaker because this particular artery, I guess, the blood flow that it, you know, kind of controls. It's, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough one. You know, it's, it's, I'm glad I'm here to, to be able to, to talk about it and, you know, be here with the family right now. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, uh, must've put things in perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you realize, uh, you know. Family first, obviously I'm, you know, a father of young kids and, you know, you don't want them to, um, have the struggles of growing up without a dad. So now, you know, obviously the focus is on making sure I'm here for decades to come for them.
2: Yes, that's absolutely. Um, so a couple of just, uh, quick questions is whatever comes to mind. What does resilience mean to you?
0: For me, resilience is, is being able to keep going regardless of what the obstacles they get put in front of you it's problem solving it's okay i'm not giving up but i'm gonna i'm gonna figure out a way and it might not be the easiest way but i'm gonna figure out a way to get over that little hurdle
2: nice uh and if we look at your background you know between swimming the military these types of lifestyles that are have a lot of uh, Sort of determination and work ethic. How do you think work work ethic has helped you be successful in sport? And how important is that to you?
0: I I come from a family of, of, of with with great work ethic, and I think it I think it's paramount not only in sport but but everything we do. I never want to do anything where I'm not putting my best foot forward. That's for sure. So th- you can't do that unless you're working hard and you're working smart as well. And I've learned. I've learned over the years in sport that a work ethic just doesn't mean that you train hard and you train a lot. It means that you do everything correctly, that you address the details and you do everything you can. You look at the whole package. Fitness isn't performance. Performance comes from so much more than just training and training hard. It's being able to address the details and really check every box before that gun goes off and knowing you're ready because you haven't left any stone unturned
2: makes a lot of sense yeah and how do you what's your internal like how do you internally stay motivated is that just it's kind of built into your
0: psychology or where does that come from i've felt my my internal motivation has has definitely changed over the years and i think it has to because i'm not the same person i was when i was 22 or 23 you know i'm i'm a dad now i'm you know I'm an established athlete and things change. So, you know, when I was young, I just wanted to win a race, but, and that drives you, that drives you to, to, to perform and then you win a race. So, okay. That's not going to drive you as much the next time. Right. It's like, then I'm like, oh, I'm going to get partners. you know, I want to keep performing. So I get sponsors and, you know, I can make a career out of this. And then that happens. Then you're like, I want to win world title. I want to, you know, do this other so, stuff. Okay. That happens. No you, you always have to be kind of, you know, circling back and really Being, you have to be honest with yourself and you always have to be self-evaluating and I think being honest with yourself is so important. And now it's okay. I'm, I'm here for my kids and I want to set great examples and I want to do great things and I want to be able to enjoy this adventure that we have in this sport as a family. And that's, that's really been driving me now. And actually when I, when I qualified in 2019, when I qualified for the world championship, I did it at Ironman Boulder and. I had had a bike crash early in the year when I was in Australia. I broke a bunch of ribs. I missed, I was supposed to do Ironman Texas, missed that. Then I was going to do Ironman Brazil, missed that. I couldn't get to the start line. And I, I did Boulder because I, I, it was like almost my last resort and I needed to qualify for, for Kona. And I overbiked. I was, had a horrible run and I was starting to walk. And I just thought about my daughter Izzy. And I was about to lose, I needed to get on the podium to go to Kona and I was about to fall into fourth. and I just said, you know what, I'm going to get to the finish line so I can give my daughter a hug and I can show her I don't quit. And all of a sudden, when I did that, my legs stopped hurting. You know, when, when quitting is out of your mind, the things change. All of a sudden, you know, I was going like, oh, my quads are blowing. I can't even run. Then all of a sudden I'm, I'm like, okay, well, I'm getting to the finish line. I'm going to go do it as quick as I can. Like, let's get back in this. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm pulling away from fourth, and you know, I'm you know settled into my third position and get my Kona spot and salvage a horrible day. And it was all because of that mindset shift, for sure, and that you know focusing on my motivation, which is you know my kids. Wow,
2: it sounds like family means a lot to you, and and even in when it comes to a race, you can really sort of shift your mindset just thinking about that, and it it sh- it kind of shows like that's a that's a proof point. That we always have more capacity if you, you know, sort of you shift your perspective. Um, How do you, one last question before I turn it back over to Ed. Um, How do you look objectively and be honest with yourself? Like what kind of tools do you use to, you know, it's easy to um, sort of get lost in maybe negative self-talk or the situation. um, But how do you try to look honestly and objectively? Like
0: what tools do you use for that? Oh, that's a good question, son. I, I don't, I don't know if I've ever dug that deep into it, you know, <laughs> I didn't I mean, seem to. It could be data or, you know, like what, whatever else you could use to try to, because
2: you, you clearly do look, sort of look closely at, at your performance and try to see exactly where you're truly at it sounds.
0: Yep. Like. Yeah, absolutely. And you can definitely do that with data, particularly for, for me with racing and Ironman efficiency and you're, I look for efficiency in data because that's, that's how you win a race. That's how you serve, you know, you're not just surviving at the end of the marathon. You're, you know, you're accelerating and, uh, whether that's, you know, power to heart rate ratios or, um, you know, ground contact time when you're running, things like that, there's, there's so many things that can give you a clear look and also having the right people around you. I remember my coach, Julie Dibbins, who we've been a long time friends. We started working together in the beginning of 2018. And we were setting goals, and I'm like, oh, I want to run this and Co. And I'm like, you know, low two forties or whatever. She's like, Well, you haven't. Have you run under two fifty? I'm like, No. And, or, and she's like, Okay, well, let's set that as a goal first. Like, let's let's break two fifty. And having people that ground you like that is super important because it's like, Hey, let's take this. Like, let's take it at a nibble at a time. Let's not take on big bites yeah. here. So, yeah, I, I think having the right people around you that can keep you grounded and do it and keep, help keep you honest with yourself and do it in the right way where you're not upset and, you know, you know, you're fired coach. you have no faith in me.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it sounds like having realistic, um,
0: goals that build upon each other is a big part of it. Um, Absolutely. And having that plan, right. Where you have, have smaller goals that lead to uh, ultimately what you want to achieve is, is really important. Nice. That's great. You have that kind of support.
1: So you've sort of spoken about you know long training days, eight nine hours. Can you sort of pick out what a what a typical training week looks like in, in your sort of normal approach to a, a race?
0: Yeah, it's, it definitely varies. The training schedule will vary uh, depending on what event we have coming up or where we are in the season. Usually, you know, Mondays are lighter recovery days. Tuesday, we call Tuesdays "terrible Tuesdays" where you're doing a hard run uh, <laughs> in the morning, right into a swim. And then I'll do my strength session. And then in the afternoon, it's a hard ride. So yeah. ter- terrible Tuesdays are like, let's go, let's fire it up. And then Wednesdays are usually longer day, longer, long ride with a, a with a run up, and, you know, maybe an afternoon open water swim. And then Thursdays are more run focused. So we'll do double run day and, and a swim and uh strength. Fridays, quality bike, usually a run or a swim. And then Saturday weekends are more that aerobic long stuff. So a really long ride. That's when you might be doing you know, 160 mile ride, or, you know, you might be riding up into the mountains and going over, uh, you know, 12,000 foot patches, things like that, good good (laughs) runs off. And then Sundays are those long runs with usually like a light, light swim afterwards. Awesome. So, you know, you're
1: working out every day there, obviously with varying intensities. How are you sort of building in recovery, both mental and physical into that? See, see, you're always in a, you know, a
0: positive state to train. I think that as you get older, you have to definitely focus on all this more. And I'm not going to lie as a parent, sometimes you don't recover the way you want to <laughs> and yeah. You and have to deal with it, but you know, I've, I've learned taking breaks, big like breaks after big events has been, been on a macro level and extremely important to our recovery and the longevity of our careers. You know, most I see the young guys now, like they'll hire men folder 70.3 was the other weekend and they're back hammering themselves on Monday or Tuesday. And you just like, ah, let your, let your everything recover. Um, and I had made that mistake when I was young too. And that I actually had to change coaches and, you know, I switched to Mark Allen because I was mentally and physically, I was, I was almost at that point of, you know, no return where, you know, a chronic fatigue and, and just you lose that ability to go to the well because you've gone to the well mentally so many times. So I had to, I just backed off, changed my training and it, it, it helped me extend my career as well. So I think taking time away from the sport is really important mentally, stepping back, having quiet time, um, just being able to, you know, do some deep breathing, uh, just relaxing so important. And then training wise, physically, you just have to listen to your body and I'll, I'll change my training programs more often now as I'm older, just because I know that I'm on the edge and I need to back off, or I know I'll put myself in a bad position by doing this particular session. And at the end of the day, consistency wins races and to be consistent, you have to give yourself physical and mental breaks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, completely on board with that. The whole idea of just mental and physical recovery and we know how interlaced they are and that's why we put such big importance of it in our app with, with our mindset recovery system. Um, I just want to sort of dive into that, that sort of time you take off the sport after a race, uh, cause I find that completely fascinating. sort what, what sort of does that involve in terms of time? And you spoke about sort of taking time to deep breathe and, and have sort of relaxing, but in terms of the sort of. You doing any training in that time or, or what
0: does it involve? Sure. We'll we'll take a couple days off of with of just no training, just because there is that mental stress that yeah. you know, of actually just working out, you know, just actually having to put your swimsuit on and dive in the pool. Yeah. For all the swimmers that the collegiate swimmers out there, you know that like that feeling of like, oh my gosh, I'm I gotta dive in the pool. I know uh-huh. the water's gonna be cold. Or like you're doing dental swims and you have to put on a wet suit. There's nothing more putting on a wet suit before you're about to dive in a pool. Uh, so, you know, we'll definitely do that and then we'll do, we'll do fun training. So I think the key is, is you can keep your fitness up without quote unquote training. You know, you can go for a mountain bike ride in the winter. We'll go, uh, snow cross country skiing. These are things that they're going to keep you in shape, but they're not going to put that mental stress on you that you're out there on your TT bike. And honestly, just yeah. even riding your road bike or gravel bike and not your on bike, huge <laughs> mental release, like unbelievable. Or, you know what, leave your Garmin, leave your watch at home. If you're going yeah. out for a run, just go out for a run, go out at sunset or whatever it is and just enjoy your surroundings and enjoy the people you're with. And don't worry about data or, or performance. Just enjoy being out and, and being healthy and, and, you know, getting fitness at the same time
1: yeah it's really interesting incredibly good advice i mean it's it's that variety and that sort of change and just having fun with it taking the pressure off i mean you're, you're a professional triathlete and it's uh you know those times are really crucial to you and having no pressure of the times no data there is it just lets you enjoy what you what you like doing so
0: yeah be a kid like right be a kid every once in a yeah. while <laughs> like what do kids do? they go like they go run around just ride the bikes throw the bikes around go do something else like just be out and have fun one and be active
1: yeah and like you say you're still going to get that that physical sort of maintenance at that point you're, you're doing sport. sports meant to be fun and just enjoy it so um yeah sounds great really good advice i know sort of in my own head i have i do that from time to time but never really thought and processed why i've done that
2: it'd be great to hear from you i know you've you've um been using the app for a while um what kind of stands out to you in terms of additive to your training or recovery or unique insights or sort of what's what stood out to you with the app
0: for me it's having guidance i think that's the, the biggest thing we all know there's there's these details that we need need to address and that we should be addressing but we don't know how to do it and it and it has to be easy too so for me rewire I, you know, I love what you guys are doing with Rewire because, you know, as I've you know alluded to earlier in the conversation, as I've gotten older, I am performing better, not because I'm training harder or training more. It's because I'm doing these other, I'm addressing other little things like, like your mental training and in your mental, mental state and your mental recovery. So to have, you know, you guys with Rewire bringing me something that makes it easy for me to do and, and gives me the guidance and the structure to. You know, incorporated into my training plan that you know that's the ace in the hole for me. Awesome,
2: yeah. Um, we've spent a lot of as athletes ourselves, you know we've spent a lot of time looking at sort of where where are the different opportunities to help improve the athlete state. And you know there's so many situations where you still have to go out and perform, but just taking five, 10 minutes to do a recovery session. To check in with your mindset and your psychology, it can go a long way, <laughs> you know, um, to sort of re- reset, start that workout
0: in a better state than you would have if you wake up a little bit tired or a little bit grumpy, you know. And it's amazing, you know, I love, I'm a coffee guy, and it's amazing that what you can achieve by taking that five or 10 minutes and, you know, running through a program and just letting your, letting your mind and body relax and how you feel afterwards versus just trying to hit a cop, cup of coffee and keep going i mean it there's something to be said for that for sure yeah that's right in our
2: fast paced world we don't really we you know just taking a breath literally and figuratively we don't, we just don't even give ourselves that so yeah it it becomes a precious commodity um yeah we're uh we're we're really excited that uh you're enjoying the app and uh, we look forward to feedback and suggestions and other ways we can keep improving it so thank you again for for digging in and and uh start working with it and working with us
1: awesome so thank you so much for this tim it's
0: been great talking to you today we've really enjoyed this conversation of course yeah thanks for your guys support um you know takes a village to to get to the top of, of any sport and you know pleasure to to have you guys um you know, with me on the journey. Was happy
1: to be here. Thank you.
0: It was great to have Tim on the podcast today. We wish him
1: all the best in his recovery and return back to competing. We're so excited to announce that we have now launched Rewire. To find out more about how you can unlock your ultimate performance through our new human performance platform, visit RewireFitness.app, where you can sign up for a seven-day free trial.